Christopher and I, and all of us at TDPS, are still grieving the loss of my dear friend and our beloved premier party person, Anne Rice. But my mother's literary legacy gave birth to a diverse and wonderful community of readers and fans who continue to celebrate her work online. We invite you to join them on the Facebook page dedicated to Anne's legacy. That's where you'll receive the latest updates on new editions of her work and all the exciting changes coming to the AnneRice.com website. Also on the Anne Rice Facebook page, you can join the mailing list to receive all the latest news and information about her forthcoming celebration of life in New Orleans. That's at facebook.com slash Anne Rice fan page, no spaces. If you believe, as we do, that Anne's work is as immortal as her characters, then join us at Anne Rice fan page on facebook.com. See you there. Eric. Yes, Christopher? Have you been to my website lately? Why would I go to your website? You're sitting right here. Well, it's the place to find out all about my new books. Why would I go to your website for that? Again, you're sitting right here. All right. Well, for people who aren't right here, ChristopherRiceBooks.com is a great place to get information about my new releases. Which you'll give me copies of because I'm sitting right here. Yeah, maybe. But for those who aren't currently sitting in our studio on the Sunset Strip, check out my website, sign up for my mailing list, and check out all the posts on my blog where I talk smack about Eric Shaw Quinn. What smack? Shut up and read this new book I wrote. Fuck that and fuck ChristopherRiceBooks.com. This ad did not go as planned. This was an ad? Hi, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you're listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And Eric. And whenever we sound really serious during this introduction... The huge baby. It means we just did something completely nuts before the ca- microphones... Cameras. Microphones started rolling. And we're trying to <laughs> uh, to bring it down into a, a re- reasonable adult level. Absolutely. Our, this is our impersonation of us being adults. We're grown-ups. This is a very grown-up podcast, very serious... Big NPR energy here at TDPS. None of those things. None of those things are happening. None of those things. But We're let just me be not cl- those people. Let me be clear about what is happening. Okay? What is happening? What is happening is the True Crime TV Club is back this week. Dun, 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 dun. And we're not doing <laughs> the summer tour of horrible movies. <laughs> Let's not shit on our own programming here for five minutes, but yes. We, our shows were great. When we, we review a bad movie, it's a good show because we're very funny about it. Somebody I'm went, not taking responsibility for the movies sucking. One of the party people said on our the Dinner Party Show's Facebook page, I was listening to you guys talk about this one movie, and it stopped. I be, no longer was clear to me why you continued watching the movie. <laughs> I was like, because we said we were going to. A promise is a promise. That's right. <laughs> but a, yeah, oh my God, these those were there were a lot of movies I would have turned off twenty minutes into it. It's a, you're they're absolutely right. And if you're joining us for the first time, this is what we're talking about. We we would occasionally do this thing, and we're really going to put it to bed for a while because we maxed out on it this summer. We would do a, a documentary about a crime, and then the next. Next week, we would do a movie that was inspired by or more strictly based on the crime. And first of all, we started to run out of movies fast because let's let me tell you something. The era of prestige true crime adaptations is new. And if you go back to some older murders, all you've got is a creaky old NBC movie of the week starring Richard Crenna. And some really liberal deviations from the real story. I'm telling you. Let me you. tell you. 
and uh, we and, th- and we had a hard time. So we're coming back hard on True Crime TV Club. Coming back hard, hard, hard. True Crime TV. No movies. Right. No Richard Crenna. No um, pairings. That <laughs> no was pairings. We, we do the movie and then we do the show. Like right. it's the back to back, and it's a great idea. Sometimes it worked. The Changeling one was great. We've done some mm-hmm. over the years that yeah. were. Marvelous, but man. We had an unexpected success with The Frozen Ground, which was a movie we didn't know anything about. Right. It was a movie nobody else knew anything about until it popped up on Netflix. It had bombed. It was Nick Cage and John Cusack and Vanessa Hudgens. And our friend Catherine was in it, which yeah, was also really. a delightful surprise. Hey, Catherine. Hi, Catherine. Um, that was that was an unexpected success, but it's just it needs a breather. We're gonna give the whole concept just a little breath while we go over here and do and stuff like right. we did last week. We did Antober. Well, last we're just week. back to our usual sort of up to our yeah. usual tricks in True Crime TV Club, which is this week. But well, we did the whole back to school month, which was all true crime. Right. So we've we've been back at this for a bit. We're trying to do themes. We're, we're trying to do and and just as a reminder here, as many of you have pointed out to us on Facebook. A TDPS month is different from a calendar month. We consider whatever the next four episodes we're deciding on are, regardless of date, that's a TDPS month. So and you could be listening to this in five years, in which case it won't have anything to do with it, which is also great. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Whenever that turns out to be. We do try to keep these episodes evergreen, as they say in the business, evergreen. Yeah, we're, we're evergreen content. We're very professionally we're driven. Very professional. We're very professional. Okay. You, Eric Shawquin, have a story to tell. I hear. You have the answer to a question. And that question well, is Well, it's my new sort of if this is my um it's my New Yorker article. <laughs> oh <laughs> God. The title of my New Yorker article is How I Discovered That I Was the Stripper Who Lives in My Building. <laughs> Does that mean? What can this even mean? Okay. I told right. him this a couple of days ago. He's like, you have to tell the story on the show. Um, <laughs> oh, I was going to pretend to be hearing it for the first time. Oh. You just blew that bit to smithereens. Oh, well, we can cut that out if you want <laughs> no, to. No, it's no. it's, it's I'm a recording. St- but... I'm still going to laugh at the same place because it still kills me. So it's all it's all real. Well, it's the, real, real. the realization is still the same realization. Yes. So a few weeks ago, um, I started noticing that um, there was... I I always wear black polo shirts. Mm-hmm. I I'm a big fan. Even to my workout shirts are they're sort of skimpier and maybe more oxygen permeable or something. And they also I think have an SPF factor, so you oh, can golf great. wearing them because then only your arms burn up. I don't know, but whatever. Um, big golfer, smear it on your face. Yeah, huge yeah, golfer. Huge golfer. Yeah, okay. big big issue. I, like. Like I'm ever in the sun, right? At all. Um, so, but yeah, but so all of my shirts are black polo shirts, and because I don't necessarily need them to be form fitting, because I don't want to look like a sausage casing on some all right, now be kind doughy to old man wandering around in his polo shirt. I don't put them in the dryer. So when the housekeeper does the laundry, she hangs them up. Um, in a place in the, in the hallway in one part of the house where they dry, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and I was messing with them for some reason. I think I was sorting them into groupings, workout mm-hmm. shirts versus um, 
white pony or brown pony. Um, the ponies, the if ponies, you will. They're all ponies. They're all sorted by pony. Because um, the they're all Ralph ponies. Lauren. Do love my Ralph Lauren. Mm-hmm. Me too. God bless Ralph Lauren. Yeah. Anyway, um, I realized that they all had sort of a a light dusting of gold glitter on them. Not a lot, <laughs> but it was like they all had gold glitter on them. And I was like, well, that's odd. You know, like I Greater Christmasville, and there's a my relationship to Christmas. There is a part of the year when there is a certain amount of glitter yes. on everything that I am and do. Pause just because I want to tell people who don't know Greater Christmasville is your unbelievable Christmas village that you set up in your home every year. This year we're taking a break, but it's going we're to be actually back going next to be in exile this yeah. year because of the transition to me moving to a new house that mm-hmm. I still haven't finished remodeling and that's mm. a whole nother enormous story that maybe yeah. we'll tell next spring um or maybe i'll be committed by then because <laughs> i haven't been able to finish the damn we'll house do our live from L- your asylum live from arkham asylum it's eric <laughs> talks about his remodeling um experience um so the, there's been breakdown in the laundry room recently, and I thought maybe it was there was some delay, and maybe things collected up in the lawn in the washing machine, and so there was you know detritus, there was leftover from something in the in the washing machine. I mentioned it to the um, the housekeeper, I think, and she was like, mm, "It's not um, my glitter." Yeah, there wasn't anything, so we didn't have a specific threat on it. So it happened, and then. It happened again, and there was still glitter on the, the shirt. And then I went to the gym, and I was working out with a trainer, and the trainer said, so did you go to the strip club last night? And I was like, um, <laughs> no. And he said, well, you, you've got glitter on you, and I just thought that maybe that that, that was like, and I was like, oh, no, no. Isn't that weird, though? I've noticed that myself. <laughs> All of my shirts have this little dusting of glitter on them, and I just can't figure out where. And I kept looking around like, is there some source in my house, Some something I've bought that's too sparkly that has glitter on it that's getting it all? But how would it get all over all of the shirts and yeah. all over everything? And um, <clears throat> I... I have a thread with, I live in an apartment building and I have a thread that I've made with all of the neighbors. <laughs> oh no. And so I posted on the thread, I said, "Is are other people experiencing <laughs> having their laundry come back covered with, you know, like a light dusting of glitter? And they were all like, uh, <laughs> no. That's, the machines don't even work enough for us to use them. That's not happening. Um, we're not sure yeah. what you're talking about. And we got into this sort of joke. Maybe a stripper has moved into our building. Uh, Wouldn't that be exciting yeah. to have an exotic dancer living with us here in our humble little building in or plain, ordinary West Hollywood? Um Anyway, so we d- couldn't identify a stripper in the building, but we just thought that maybe that was a possibility because somebody was, you know, somehow this glitter was winding up. Okay, so <laughs> I'm a huge fan of this site called um, Bath and Body Works. Mm-hmm. They make wonderful household scents, mm-hmm. and uh, years, which I employ seasonally. I transition the scents based on the season. He's not kidding. He has a seasonal scent program in his home. And they keep changing the flavors, so it's hard because I wish they would just do the same scents every year so that I could Mm -hmm. plan. Anyway. It's terrible. It's really, my my life is really a Living nightmare. My life is such a struggle. Mm -hmm. Anyway, um, very first world problems. Yeah. Um, 
They also make a product called Body Butter that mm-hmm. Anne Rice actually introduced to me. It's this really, it's pretty solid. It comes in a, in a tub like like cold cream might or something mm-hmm. like a big tub, and it's 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 got a kind of solidness to it, but it's also rich with shea butter and it's very delicious and wonderful on your skin. And I um every morning um I mix it with my um. It's called Alba Shade. It used to mm. smell like sugar cookies, like mm-hmm. cookie dough, but yeah. then they took the vanilla out of it, so it stopped smelling like that. So I mix this stuff, the body butter, with that to give it a sort of nice fresh scent. And I found a scent that I really like called A Thousand Wishes years ago. And as with the household <laughs> scents, they stopped making it. So mm-hmm. it was like, well, that's great. Thanks. Mm-hmm. So I found another one, and I'd been using um, a scent, a cherry blossom scent. Um, for a while, and in the evenings, I mix it with my um, Q10 moisturizer, body moisturizer, <laughs> and in the, the daytimes with my. I'm sun- gonna stop you just for a sunscreen. We've told a lot of gay stories on this podcast, but this is already the gayest. I'm just gonna tell you. It's, it's, it's you know, I'm. I, there's never been any secret. I'm pretty uh, gay. You're pretty gay, and I'm you're getting gay. gayer as you tell the story. I am a huge princess, and there uh-huh. has never been any doubt about it. Never disputing. This may be the final proof for people who are looking <laughs> for the the final piece in the, the princess puzzle. This may be it. Okay. Okay. All right. So um, so then recently <laughs> on on the site, as I was perusing to see what was available and what sense they had retired without warning me. Um, I discovered that suddenly um, Thousand Wishes Body Butter was back. It's back. It's back. Mm -hmm. Um, And I have quite a backlog of um, cherry blossoms, so it wasn't like it was like a big. So I thought, well, I'll try this. The the way it was presented was it was body butter, but they called it Glotion. (laughs) And I, I don't even know what that meant. And I will, lotion. I will say in my defense, it's not it's not particularly descriptive as to what that meant either. So I bought a tub of it and thought, well, I'll use this for a little bit, maybe just at night, to see how it works and to see if I still like it. But I'm not sure what glotion actually is or might be. Well, apparently, what glotion is is what strippers wear. <laughs> I guess partly so they can slide up and down that pole really easily, but also because it is just loaded with gold glitter, (laughs) which it does not say is contained in the product anywhere. That's what I was going to ask you. Does it say contains gold glitter? It does not. It says says shimmering and sparkling and, you know, like all of those things, but... This says about a lot of stuff that they have. Like this is, my, this is my favorite part of the story is that people only noticed it on your shirts. Wasn't it on you? Like why? Well, I was only wearing it. I was only mixing it at night. So oh. when I discovered it was on me, it was at night. I looked at my arm and went, my arm is covered with gold <laughs> glitter. Huh. I bet that's what glotion means. Huh. <laughs> Um, and so I sleep in the, my, I also sleep in my, uh, the polo shirts as well. So yeah. it's on there and it's also on the sheets, which get washed. It's all dark fabric. Mm-hmm. So it all gets washed together. So I guess it just all got mixed in there. And so all the dark stuff had a gold glitter a gold, property a to glotion. it. A glotion. A glotion. So yeah. So I'm trying slowly oh but surely God. to stop. 
I've stopped using it, and I'm trying to, you know, launder everything little by little so that eventually, um, at some point, I will no longer have when you first gold glitter on everything. told me that story and said the word glotion, I thought I was going to pass out. I was laughing so hard. Anyway. It really, it's, it's, great the, story. it's the real tip of it. Like, I thought about how to tell the story, and I think you have to save the glotion part. You really do. Because it's really sort of, it's the reveal. After it's that. the punchline, the reveal, the twist, all in one. All in one. It all happens all there together, and you can't really unring the bell. Once you've said Glotion, there's kind of no mystery where the where the glitter is coming from. And on that note, when we come back, True Crime TV Club returns with Homicide for the Holidays, Halloween Horror, brought to you by... Glotion. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Eric Shaw Quinn, and everyone here at TDPS would like to congratulate my co-host and best friend, Christopher Rice, also known as steamy romance author C. Travis Rice, on the publication of Sapphire Storm, the third novel in his Sapphire Cove series. Sapphire Storm is the drama-filled tale of a forbidden romance that exposes old secrets and incurs the wrath of the powerful and the famous. It went on sale March 7th, along with the first two entries in the series, Sapphire Sunset and Sapphire Spring, it's available wherever ebooks are sold. Congratulations, C. Travis Rice, and congratulations, Christopher. That's enough tomfoolery. Let's get down to some true crime here. Right? That's what we're here for. That's what we're true, here for. Eric, Christopher and Eric's True Crime TV Club. All right. We went looking for a Halloween-themed true crime episode, and we went back to a show that we had thought we had left because it was nothing but family massacres at Christmas time. And we did, I think, two episodes of it and completely <laughs> fucked ourselves up. And it was really, it was disturbing. <laughs> it was very, there was a, Hall a Thanksgiving massacre and a Christmas massacre. Yeah. And I was like, okay, that's just really a lot. It's so. just really a lot. So we found an episode called Halloween Horror, and I'm not going to say it's any less disturbing, but at least it's not Christmas. It's Halloween. So. <laughs> it's a Halloween family massacre that's story. The, exactly. That's basically what it is. I guess this whole show is just family massacres. Well, you know, that's it's the holidays. Yeah. You get together with the family. Family. If there's going to be crimes involved, it's going to be, you know. Oh, I swear to God. Okay, so it is, uh, we are doing uh, season four, episode five, entitled Halloween Horror. Follow along with us to Oak Harbor, Ohio. This is a small town near Lake Erie in northern Ohio with a population of 40,000. We are introduced to two detectives, Mark Mulligan and George Byington, who explain that this town is a tourist destination in the summer. It is a close, tight-knit community, but it is known for people who like to come and fish on the shore of the lake. And I'd like to point out that the notes say it's a close, tight knot. <laughs> God damn it. I knew it. A tight it. knot community. <laughs> I knew you were going to do that. Listen, I'm watching. I'm typing. There's a lot of... I appreciate you yeah. taking the notes in the first place because I don't... I just watch and then have smart-ass remarks that's to make. How we, that's how we set it up here at TDPS. So Sue and Bill Liskey are a happily married couple who like to celebrate Halloween. Sue is 46. Bill is 53. They've been married for 10 years. Sue is from a local well-known family. Her father was a schoolteacher in town who actually taught one of the detectives who will end up investigating what happens to Sue. Spoiler alert. 
Bill is an avid outdoorsman. This is Sue's husband. He has a hunting cabin in southern Ohio, and they have a blended family. Anna Garcia, who is identified as a journalist with a black backdrop, and we don't really know if she has any connection to this case or if she's just one of their hired talking heads. Or she just looks really smart with those glasses on. She does have great glasses. Those are great glasses. They did really, and the haircut. It really made her look sharp. Absolutely. Uh, She tells us that Sue, they have a blended family. Sue has two boys, Derek and Devin. And in 2010, Derek is 23 years old and Devin is 16. Derek is described as nice, quite, quite. (laughs) Quite? Is that what it says in your notes? This is a bad day for notes and me. I must have, I don't drink, but uh, apparently I was distracted. I thought his name was Paxton. It's Derek? Paxton. No, there was no Paxton. God, I just made that up. Maybe I dreamed it. (laughs) That's it. It's got some of that glotion up in your brain cells. That must be it. All right. Uh, Derek and Devin. Devin would, uh, Derek is described as nice, quiet, and active in karate. And occasionally quite. Devin is a diver for the local team at school. He is described as nice and polite as well. On the weekends, Devin would stay with his father about 20 minutes away. Bill's son by a previous marriage named BJ would visit the house every other week. And the marriage wasn't named BJ. The son is named BJ. Uh, (laughs) The special plays, this is one of those specials, I'm just going to say this now, where by not revealing some essential information right up front, they... they, Created the illusion of suspense. I thought that was I. I thought that was really well played because they were leaning into because when you watch a lot of true crime TV shows, there's some certain things that you learn to look for. It's like, oh well, I know what that means, <laughs> and then they got us on this one. They stung us because it was like, oh surprise, snap. <laughs> The thing that you always think from true crime TV shows, well, that isn't true. And you'll see what we mean in just a minute. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, I love those red flags. Like, Bill was a rich older man who liked women who took him out on long boat rides. And it's like, (laughs) "Uh uh-oh, he's toast. (laughs) Oh, dear. All right, all right. So um, we, we got the blended family. We've got a son, Bill's son, who's visiting every other weekend. And they don't tell us why that is right away. But he's 24 years old, and he's close with his dad. And they would often hunt together. And the night before Halloween in 2010, they had done just that. They had gone hunting and brought back a deer to the house in uh, Oak Harbor. And they're having a little party. The neighbors come by. They're named the Grottles. I was never – they never put the spelling of that on the screen, so I had to improvise. That's close enough. Like, if, you, if that's your name, that you kind of get what you get. The party breaks up just shy of midnight. Sue's sister-in-law, Lori Morse, starts to get worried the next morning because Derek was supposed to come and do some construction work with her husband, and he has not shown up. She also can't reach him on his phone. She can't reach Sue either. So she calls Devin, who had stayed with his father the night before, and then had a church choir concert that morning. He's apparently at the house. He's at the house where Sue could be playing video games. Um, <clears throat> his aunt Lori calls at 1 p.m. and says, "Look, I'm worried. I can't get in touch with your mother. Uh, I'm not really sure what's going on." And he says, "Well, let me go check the bedroom." He calls her right back in an absolute panic. Says there is blood everywhere. Lori goes and calls 911. I think while she's on the way over to the house. 
Um, yeah, he calls her from like like outside in the driveway, yeah. freaking the fuck out on the phone. And she, called, I thought he asked asked her. They said to call nine one one. Right, it was almost too much for him. He was so blown away by having discovered his parents murdered, and they and they hold back some of the details. But where they eventually arrive at is that there was so much blood in the bedroom. He thought it was a Halloween prank, and he had to go all the way up to the bed, and. See that it was not a prank. To tell that there was no prank because it was so extreme. He just couldn't believe that it was real. It's such a small town that the the deputies are able to make a positive ID on the victims. I've never heard of that before, but I guess that's legal. Um, Nothing seems out of place in the house. they're known to you. Why wouldn't it be? I guess. I just thought maybe legally you had to have a family member. But I guess what if they don't have family members? Yeah, somebody's got to make a positive ID. Yeah. Um, The detectives... Uh, arrive. They say nothing's out of place in the house. The laundry was done the night before. But in the bedroom, Bill Liskey is on the side of the bed closest to the door, and he's been shot in the head. On the other side of the bed, Sue's legs are partially hanging off the bed. She's face down, and there is blood on her pillow. Her body is covered with a comforter. There are no signs of a struggle, but Sue has a defensive wound on her hand. There's a blood pattern on the door, which suggests the shooter was standing in front of it, and fired on Bill first from that position. Upstairs, if, if, if that's not bad enough, there's a locked bedroom door, and when they force it open, they find a young man lying in bed with a gaping blunt force trauma wound to his head. The detective says this was the most disturbing murder scene he had ever seen over the course of his career. The victim is Derek. The murder weapon appears to be a hammer-like object. The blood <laughs> cast off suggests... What are, what are other... Th- Hammer-like thing. Just What's qu- a, I was quoting. The I know. Special, I but thought it about like, it. I thought it at the time, like, like a hammer-like object, yeah, like a hammer. So a yeah. hammer, or what are other things that are hammer-like? <laughs> well, they're they're hammer violins, uh, hammer salads. Uh, yeah, no, I don't know. Arm and hammers, hammers, right? Yeah, hammers. Like, I guess a hatchet is sort of hammer-like, but it's also sort of axe-like. So it's not really very hammer-like because it's a blade. So. Yeah, like a hammer is kind I of think a hammer. What was unclear to them was the type of hammer. I think that's what he was trying or to articulate. Which hammer? Yeah. Or, yeah. Oh, it's that one, the one covered with blood. We'll get there. We'll get there. Um, the uh, the cast off again. Ugh. These people are apparently either really good at reading blood splatter, or this was there's some forensics here that was done over time, but they just present it like it was their observation of the scene. The cast off suggests that there were two blows which is all it took to make a gaping wound and kill Derek. He's still in the fetal position, and he's got no defensive wounds, so he must have been asleep when he was killed. This is like my greatest fear, being attacked in bed while I'm asleep. This is like... Well, I you'll was, never know. And, you know that's a, <laughs> it's great. We don't know if he knew. He might have known. I mean, I, I guess he's still in the fetal position. He never still, woke He up. was still asleep. Like, yeah. the, he didn't regain consciousness, so he okay. didn't know. Like. I guess that would be better. Mm-hmm. Dying in your sleep. Mm. So two different weapons were used. They think Derek is the first one to die, which is why he wasn't shot. The killer used a hammer so that he wouldn't wake up the victims, the future victims downstairs. The stealth hammer. That's what kind of hammer. No one in the house heard the murder, apparently. Nine shots were fired eventually, but there are no shell casings on the floor. The gun used seemed to be a revolver or a small caliber gun. The killer took effort to cover the bodies and closed the bedroom doors. No signs of theft at all. 
The neighbor next door, Michelle Grottle, she says she heard a banging at about 6.30 in the morning that could have been gunshots. And this is pretty remote country, so yeah. that's not as untoward as it might seem if they were, you know, in a highly populated yeah. urban area that somebody might be out shooting, hunting or something. So the question is, how could Devin have been home playing video games with three people dead in the house and not realized it? And I'm just going to go ahead and say it here. We're not seeing Devin. He's not being interviewed. Right. He's no way being included in this. So it starts to look pretty suspicious about what's going on with Devin. So the story he tells the detectives is that he arrived home at around 11.15 a.m., but he didn't find the bodies until 1 p.m. His father confirms that he did spend the night at his house the night before and that he stayed up at the house, at his house, until 11 p.m. playing video games. Then he left in the morning to go to his church concert in Oak Harbor. Witnesses, to play church? Witnesses. You know, listen, if I don't... Left in the morning to play church. Why this is the church my bad the notes? I really I'm, love that. I, I, just, I think it's a skill not to repeat my bad notes, to see them coming. It keeps me shocked. Just keeps me shocked. Shop, very shocked. Yeah, he's, he, I did. I wrote, then he left in the morning to play church in Ocarbo. Which I love it. I love the idea of playing church. It's maybe, like playing store or playing house. or Maybe I doubted his faith. Maybe it was a comment on his faith because I was... <laughs> I can you see know. how it would be pretty shaken by this particular yeah. experience. Anyway. All right. Witnesses put him in the church during the services, which ran from 1030 to 11 a.m. So Devin's confirmed not to have been in the house when the neighbor Michelle heard gunshots. He's also incredibly upset. He's not showing any suspicious behavior patterns to the detectives. Surprise! Devin shows up. And this is the thing they do. When they, they talk about somebody and they don't show up to be interviewed, you know that person did it. Because yes. you're just like, well, for heaven's sakes. Or, or, we had that experience during um, during back to school month where yep. they never interviewed the girlfriend. And it was like, is she in on it? But then, And then I told you she clearly signed an exclusive with Dateline because she was all over the Dateline. Because she had totally special. done that one. So we actually did yep. some research on that. But this was really like, it was starting to look like something was up with Devin. But then, bah, he bah, shows up and he's, there he is. he's being interviewed. And it's not a prison interview because Dayline will do that too. They'll interview somebody just from the chest up with a fuzzy background, you and you're like, "You're in jail." They're so tricky over there at Dayline. You're in jail. Okay. Um, I blame Keith. So uh, Devin tells his side of the story and includes the detail that his mother's eyes were black and blue when he found her in bed, and that he thought it was a Halloween prank, as we said earlier. So detectives are searching the Liskey property, which is huge. It's 99 acres and with a one-and-a-half-acre pond and a couple of hunting blinds on it. So that's a lot to search. At the pond, there's a dock, and the dock has a muddy footprint on it. They thought this meant the killer threw the uh, weapon into the water. So they drain that pond, which looks like a fucking ordeal. I'm telling you, they, Jesus. They show pictures of the machinery and the all that sort of, of stuff. The amount of mud. Ugh. Yeah. Well, right, that was the thing, because they drained it, and then it was the mud pit they had yeah. to crawl through, and yeah. it was like, it Just could be down... in the mud. It could be in the mud. Okay, so... And they find nothing, which is even worse, so... Yeah. So If you're the detectives who drained the bond, yeah, it really is worse. Devin tells the detectives that there was someone else at the Liskey home that morning, because apparently Devin actually stopped off there before going to play church, and that's where he ran... <laughs> Into his older stepbrother, BJ, who was surprised to see him. Who we also haven't seen yeah, we being have, interviewed in any of this. We have and not, isn't one no. of the dead people. 
BJ, it turns out, uh, was loading his dad's white Ford F-150 with something. And when Devin gets home, uh, I'm sorry, they, they have a brief exchange. He's surprised to see him there. He goes in the house, and then BJ and the truck are gone. And then when Devin gets home after the choir concert, they have not returned. They're still gone. Oh, also, BJ's phone is turned off when the detectives try to get in touch with him. Because that's not suspicious at all. Uh, his aunt Susan lives about 15 minutes away. I think they contact. I think they said they contacted her, and she didn't know where he was. So they basically start looking all over the state for BJ and his truck because the family owns a cabin in Carroll County, which is a couple hours south of there. That's where they went, he and his dad went hunting the night before Halloween and got the deer that they brought home for the party. Uh, they put out a bolo. Uh, law enforcement agencies all over Ohio are looking for BJ. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. Do you have a question or comment about this podcast? Then come share it with us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the dinner party show, no spaces, and we'll do our best to answer it on the show. Just watch out for our aggrieved manservant, Shea Butters. He moderates the page, and he's been known to talk smack about the two of us. Most of what he says about you is true, though. We can discuss this later. That's right, at facebook.com slash show. No, I meant in the car. Eric. Yes, Christopher? Have you been to my website lately? Why would I go to your website? You're sitting right here. Well, it's the place to find out all about my new books. Why would I go to your website for that? Again, you're sitting right here. All right. Well, for people who aren't right here, ChristopherRiceBooks.com is a great place to get information about my new releases. Which you'll give me copies of because I'm sitting right here. Yeah, maybe. But for those who aren't currently sitting in our studio on the Sunset Strip, check out my website, sign up for my mailing list, and check out all the posts on my blog where I talk smack about Eric Shaw Quinn. What smack? Shut up and read this new book I wrote. Fuck that and fuck ChristopherRiceBooks.com. This ad did not go as planned. This was an ad? Okay, so I would just like to interject here. Yes. That I've had a recent revelation about, uh, I've watched, I'm going to say, roughly a million true crime TV shows as well as fictional Mm -hmm. um, crime TV shows. And recently, I realized what Bolo meant. (laughs) All this time, I thought they were talking about those ties. (laughs) That they were tightening up the, you know, that it was had some <laughs> allegorical look. It means be on the lookout. Uh-huh. Yeah, I never had crossed my mind until the other uh-huh. day, and I was like, "Oh, that means be on the lookout." <laughs> so that what, makes so much more sense okay, than the wait. tie. So what you thought they did was they put out a notice, and all law enforcement officers put on a bolo tie I for good luck. They were like tightening the. The search. They were tightening the search area or something like it was like some a, kind that's of... That's like something I would think. I've but, always thought, well, that's, you know, kind of poetical. I, right. I'm not sure it's very descriptive, and it isn't because that's not what they're talking about. They're saying be on the lookout. So, yeah, that's my that's my crime tip for today. Yeah. This week's crime tip is Bolo is not referring to that tie. Not referring to a tie, even though I don't even know if they're, they're a thing in Ohio. Okay, so this, as we said earlier, this is... If there's line dancing, there's bolo dancing. <laughs> there's and you line... know there's line dancing in Ohio. 
Okay, as we said earlier, this is what I think. This is probably one of those cases that was solved very quickly, but by holding back information from us, they make it sound like this is a sort of well, true I, crime saga. Honestly, I think by the time the bolo is issued, it's like later that afternoon, yeah. and on it's still Halloween. And this is why they're really zeroing in on him, because the neighbors reveal there were huge tensions between BJ and Sue Liskey. BJ had been given free run of the house, uh, while Bill went to work early in the morning, and then Sue moved in and wanted to establish rules like, quote, you must go to school. What <laughs> Which a was like, what a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> I almost fell off the sofa because the detective says, well, she, you know, wanted to establish rules like you must go to school. And I was expecting him to say, like, no painting the walls with green paint. When you're high, some but, uh, some other very strict. Uh, yeah, there was right. nothing yeah, like you right. have to actually go to school. It was like <laughs> actually strict. People shouldn't paint the walls. Yeah, with people green. probably shouldn't paint their mom's walls without asking any color or um, like no green or anything else. No taking the Lord's name in vain. You know that. Kind or of you always have to call me yes, ma'am. Or yeah. everybody has to be in bed by ten o'clock or something really or annoying. But don't look me in the eye when I'm on meth. You know that kind of strict. <laughs> right. Anyway, so. There were numerous reports of violent incidences in the Liskey home between BJ and Susan. He shoved her. At one point, he attacked her in the shower. BJ is, is not well. That's what's, that's what's emerging from the story. He's beyond just a difficult, violent kid. He's suffering from some severe mental struggles. Um, but the neighbor, Mark, who had been at the Halloween party, they would call him over, and he seemed to be able to calm him down. Um, BJ also has a problem with alcohol and that it clearly exacerbates his mental health issues when he's drunk. So um, he was eventually kicked out of the house and went to a group home in Sandusky, and his father would drive him back there every Sunday. But then Derek gets in trouble with the law, and he doesn't get kicked out of the house. He doesn't have to go live in a group home. And this pisses BJ off and causes a fight in the family. Devin says that he and BJ didn't really relate to each other uh, that morning when they ran into each other, but he was unusually talkative because he was surprised that he was there and maybe trying to find out why he was there and uh, drove off rather quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, we're introduced to Deputy Mike Ballish from the Carroll County Sheriff's Office. Now, Carroll County is south of where all this has been taking place. It's the vicinity of the hunting cabin we mentioned earlier. Right. He gets his bolo tie, and he puts it on <laughs> and starts looking for a white Ford F-150 and a possible murder suspect. He spots the truck and recognizes the plates. It is parked at a cabin. He calls for backup. BJ comes out of that cabin. Cabin, excuse me. The deputy immediately draws his weapon and orders BJ to the ground. His demeanor is quiet as he's arrested. Um... I don't know what the hell I was talking about. These How long some, has he been there? He says he's he's been there three hours, he says. He says three hours, then he decides to get quiet is right. what I have in the notes. So the detective asks him how long he's been there, and he says three hours. He's got brown and red stains on his shoes, which could very possibly be blood. In the truck, they find blood, indisputably, inside and outside, and they find a twenty-two caliber rifle belonging to William Liskey. Mm. And it's consistent with the gunshot wounds uh -oh. in the crime. Yeah. Mm. Meanwhile, back at the crime scene in the Liskey home, they find a safe wedged into a closet, and when they pull it out, a bloody hammer-like object is revealed. It's actually a hammer. It's not like a hammer. It's actually a hammer. Otherwise known as a hammer. Yeah. This was the weird part. And this was the part where I want Eric's opinion on this. So the next day, BJ's in prison. 
probably did it. Uh, they discover that Bill Liskey's sister, Susan Dunmire, who was an aunt who really took an interest in BJ, has died in a fire. She has died in an explosion in her garage, and the fire happened while BJ was in custody. Now, the official story is that the fire was an accident from a cigarette that wasn't put out properly, and she apparently left the gas on. I don't know how. It's a cigarette in her garage that she didn't put out properly, and I guess the gas was on in her garage? Like, I didn't... The details were sparse when it came down to the actual ignition of the explosion, or they were confusing. And Eric's giving me serious eyebrows right now. Yeah, I think this is going to be part of an overall kind of response that okay. I have to this story. Because okay. I have a, I have a, you know, one of my Eric takes for, Excellent. for the story in general, and this will be included in that particular me, part of my presentation. Then let me wrap up the TV version, and we'll okay. get into the Eric take, because that's why we all come here, is to hear the Eric Right. Take. Okay, Devin thinks that Susan was so upset about the murders that she left the gas on and forgot to put her cigarette out and blew up her garage. BJ calls his mother from jail and basically confesses. He says he wasn't in his right mind. And that is, of course, uh, we don't give tips to criminals here, but if you watch a true crime special, you need to rem- you learn early on that all calls from jail and prison are recorded. So don't don't confess to anything you don't actually want to cop to. But in this case, he changed his plea to guilty. It wasn't clear if it was the result of them having the recording of the call or if he was just sort of breaking down. They think he was cleaning up the crime scene when Devin came home. The shoe print on the dock did match his. There's not a motivated explanation for why he went out to the dock, but Eric's nodding because he's going to have one. BJ gets three life sentences. He shows remorse at his sentencing. Five years later, he ends his own life in prison. Devin, years later, gets married at the farm, and they show photos of the wedding and footage of the wedding. He said he wanted to reclaim all of his positive memories of the place. He did not want to hand it over to the memory of uh, his parents' murder, uh, his mother's murder. And I thought that... Took some brass ones, to be frank. Um, And he named his child Derek after his brother, who was slain. Okay, so that's the official version. And now, after a lot of head nodding. Official it is, but that's the version that we got on the television show. Absolutely. This is a case that I would say is, you know, my big reaction is there's something missing in this story. Yeah. This story doesn't seem particularly conclusive to Mm -hmm. me. There is elements of this story that are like, uh, huh. Mm -hmm. Like, both of the brothers were criminals. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) there was a whole sort of like, I think this sort of, we get this sort of presentation of Sue and Bill as this great and beloved couple who are really Mm -hmm. terrific. And I'm like, yeah, like, give me some examples of that. And mm-hmm. we don't really get any. We get the examples of their children. One of them turns out to be a savage serial killer, mm-hmm. and the other had some other problems with the law, and one of them was like, there's a whole, like, there's a really messed up underlying vibe right. to this family that is not included in the telling of this mm-hmm. story. Mm-hmm. My first, my big reaction, my first takeaway reaction... To this story can be summed up in two words, or maybe it's one word. I'm not sure. <laughs> you, you'll have to tell I'll me. I'll Google it. It's 
sling blade. Oh, oh, it's two words. Yes. So it's two words. Okay. Like, that's a movie with Billy Bob Thornton, which if you haven't seen it, it is so good. I, I can't tell you about it. I will cry if I try and tell you about it. But it is about somebody trying to save somebody else by doing something really terrible. Wow. And that, at a remote farmhouse in the middle of nowhere with a gun in his truck, the other brother comes mm-hmm. home. Right. And BJ has a nice chat with him mm-hmm. and then drives away. Yeah. And Devin lives to be married and have a happy life. Mm-hmm. And everybody else is dead. Wow. Like, I don't think that, the, I don't know that there's significance to the boy's name being BJ, mm-hmm. but it's, hmm, who mm-hmm. gave you that nickname? And what mm-hmm. was that based on? Mm-hmm. You know, like, he was there the night before the murder, drinking and having the with the neighbor who was able to calm him down, mm-hmm. not his father. What was his relationship with the neighbor? I don't mm-hmm. know. Where was he when the muddy footprint wound up on the um, on the dock is not really revealed Mm-mm. when that might have been. So the father was getting a son who gets violent when he drinks drunk in one of the outbuildings on the property. Mm. And then later, mm. <laughs> the son whose nickname is BJ murders Three members of the family who are party to some or aware of some abuse that's taking place or something, Mm -hmm. and he doesn't touch the other member of the family, even though he has every opportunity to do so, Right, and then takes full responsibility for the crime and kills himself, like Mm -hmm. completely sparing Devin any association with anything to do with Mm -hmm. any of the rest of the property, like... All of that speculation, but, like, all of those things began to emerge for me as no story was being presented for what was actually going on. Why was he so disturbed? What had happened to him? Like, was it a chemical thing? Was he schizophrenic? Nobody said that. Like, he's living in a group home. The Mm -hmm. other son is already a criminal as well. Like, Mm -hmm. what is happening in this household to the children here? The aunt, like... Mm -hmm. Turned on the stove, <laughs> was drunk, upset, turned on the stove, went out to the garage to smoke a cigarette, and kaboom. You believe that part of the story. I absolutely yeah. think it was an accident. There was nobody else to have done it. He was already in jail. I think it was indicative of the extended dysfunction of that family. Mm-hmm. I think there was probably alcoholism in the family and I think some form of abuse mm. that isn't really... Clear, Right. You know, like the nickname thing is just a one supposition. I have no idea it, what form the abuse took. But that young man was harboring something, some kind of disturbance right. that was pretty epic. And it may have been, you know, actual chemical imbalance in his brain. Like but, always a possibility. But none of that was revealed. The, the detail that I had the most trouble with was 6:30 in the morning who I, I don't I don't want to get too far into the head of a spree killer but who picks 6:30 in the morning 
you don't murder your family at 6.30 in the morning and expect to get away from it. That's that The sun is practically rising. I don't care how isolated. The fact that Michelle heard it at 6.30 in the morning probably meant she was sleeping lighter. If anything, people in farming environments wake up earlier. Yeah. I couldn't get past 6.30 in the morning. I was like... Or the fact that nobody was all that... That, that Devin was not put off at all by the fact that nobody was awake when he got home from church oh, yeah. at midday. Like, yeah. because they're usually drunk and passed out until the middle yeah. of the night, you know, right. the middle of the day. I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. it was just like all of it was like there is a part, the part of the story that is missing is the family. Yeah. They're just not included. There's some information about it, but it's very sort of, yeah. you know, the neighbors said they were lovely. You know, well, or that her father was nice. Her father was a school teacher. They didn't even say he was nice. She was known to the, she was known to the community. Just means okay, so she wasn't a drifter. All right, like, right. They were long-standing members yeah. of this community, and apparently, yeah. you know, like doing okay, owned a nice big piece of property, right. and had family standing. He had a noteworthy family as well, and you know, like I don't know what they did or what they didn't do, but. There was something not going very well. There's yeah. already on – there was a blended family because the first round had not worked out mm-hmm. to begin with. I would love to have seen interviews with the ex-wife and the ex-husband yeah. as to who these people actually were. I don't want to get into a blame the victim kind of thing. Killing everybody was not, not you know, justified. a good choice, but, but I don't know – that I'm getting much information about why it happened. Mm-hmm. It happened because he had voices in his head. Okay, why not say that? They didn't say they that. They didn't say that. Instead, they want us to believe that he was so mad that his brother was allowed, his stepbrother, I guess it was, was allowed to continue living in the house even though he had trouble with the law, that he bashed his head in with a hammer and then shot his father and stepmother in bed. That's I mean, as much as we get. That's as close as we get to a motive for this happening. And he had a couple of, and he had beers with his father and the neighbor guy. Yeah, they're 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 all partying together the night before, and then a yeah. couple of beers and this hideously violent homicide happens. I think you are right to question the brutality of the crime in that context. It's just there is a, yeah. it is just over the line. And the thing that was that stood out the most to me was that it was eminently possible for him to have killed Devin as well. And he didn't. The only witness that could, you know, even place him at the house. Yeah. And he didn't do that. And he cleaned up the shell casings. I, absolutely. That, that's that's he gathered it all up, swept that's it all not, away. I, someone with schizophrenia does not clean up the shell casings. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I had the same sense. I was like, "Where is this is not the, where is the rest of this story? Yeah, I think he confessed because he didn't want them to suspect Devin had anything to do with it. Mm. And I don't think Devin... I don't have any reason to believe Devin did have anything to do with it. Yeah. But I really do think that he committed that crime for Devin. Wow. Because Devin was next for whatever it was that he and, um, I called him Paxton, but his name was Derek apparently, um, had been subjected to already. Um, The suicide. What was your interpretation of BJ's suicide in prison years later? I I just, there was no, like, he was done. He had done what he had intended wow. to do, and yeah. he was, yeah. like, I think it would have happened sooner, except that he wanted to protect Devin. Okay. That was my take. Well, you know. So another dark and another, disturbing episode of Holocy Homicide. Homicide from the, what was that? What was that? That sounded like one of my notes from today. Holiday, play church. Homicide's quite quiet. Quiet, quiet, not town. Quite, quite Tight, play not church, town. homicide. Hol- holiday homicide. Okay, we have a decision to make. 
What is it? We're gonna do. We're gonna be doing something for the first time, which is we're going to be breaking an extended true crime series into two episodes, and so two parts are coming up. We're gonna be talking about the Max series, HBO Max series, Last Call, when a serial killer stalked queer New York, and we're gonna do episodes one and two in the next episode, and three and four in the following one. Typically, we have done series all at once and called it a true crime special edition. Right. Is this a true crime special edition or is this a true crime TV club? Well, I think it's the um, the two volumes set. The two, that's not responsive, <laughs> Eric Shawgoin. A two volume set of true crime TV club. Yeah. Okay, that's good because the true crime special edition thing was just confusing well, and nobody knew what we were talking kind about. Kind of special edition, but it's a tr- it's a two volume set. So I think that uh, yeah, volume one will be next week and volume two will be the week after. Um, and it is also part of the reason we picked this special is this is a serial killer stalking gay men in the nineties, and if you are New to the podcast, you are probably one of the few people who knows that we uh, became, I don't know if champions is the right word. One of the people who doesn't word. know that we, we, yeah. that we were. That we uh, shined a lot of attention on an unsolved, formerly unsolved murder of a young gay man here in West Hollywood whose name was Billy Newton. Uh, October 29th is actually the anniversary of his murder, and that will be when our next episode posts. And Last Call is a series that touches along on a lot of similar issues. Uh gay men in the 90s living in urban communities what did law enforcement do or not do all of that is up so we thought that that was an appropriate conversation to be having around the anniversary of billy's murder and we will refresh the details of that case for you as well if you'd like to if you'd like to check in on um our previous coverage of this case there's a there's a a A a, hub there's a a hub yes on our website for we used to rattle off all the episode numbers in a confusing jumble here every time we brought this up because we've done them intermittently over time. But and then the... people pointed out to us that it was the 21st century and we could stop <laughs> doing that. <laughs> so at the dinnerpartyshow.com on the um, on the homepage, you just scroll a little bit down, you'll see a big black graphic that says update Billy Newton homicide solved and episode guide. And that will take you to a page listing all of the episodes we did on the case of Billy Newton, which has since been solved. And it will soon include, apparently, next week's episode. Next week's episode as well. Until then and forever after, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you've been listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And Eric. Thanks. Happy Halloween. This is TDPS.